message was given at Hope Church of Knoxville. For more information about Hope Church, please visit our website at hopeknox.com. God, I pray that you will give us eyes today as we examine this passage. I pray that you will help us see that our priorities at times may be off kilter. That at times we worry and focus on things that do not matter. And at times our hearts are set on things that are not about your will and your glory. Please give us ears to hear during this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There's a, a comical story that begins with a woman who always wanted to go to the Super Bowl. And her and her husband planned uh, this whole event to go to the Super Bowl. She's an older lady. She's always wanted to go. She watched it on television for many years. And um, one year she's finally able to go. Well, then her husband passes away. So then um, she had two tickets to the Super Bowl and she ends up going. Well, then someone asked her, why, why do you have this extra seat here at the Super Bowl, couldn't you find someone else to come since your husband passed away? She goes, apparently they didn't see how important it was. They decided to go to the funeral instead. And I think at times we have something like this. We have a mixed priority. We, have, we get so focused on this that we forget, just like the woman, that there are more important things than a football game. There are, there are things that Scripture tells us are important, that it demands of us. And we completely miss them. And in this passage today, as we're going to go through it, we're going to see what was important for the early church. What, was their, what were they passionate about? What was it that they deemed necessary? What did they see as the important criteria of a healthy church? How did they view the life and ministry in the local church? Let's go ahead and look down at verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus of Antioch, speaking the word to no one except for the Jews. If you guys remember back in Acts 1.8, it tells us that as soon as the the Holy Spirit comes down upon them, He's going to send them out. And first they're going to be missionaries to Jerusalem and then to Samaria. And it keeps going on from there until the ends of the earth. So the gospel is going to go first to the Gentiles. So when we read this part, and it says that those who were scattered about because of persecution, these believers, they converted to Christ, and all of a sudden a great deal of persecution comes upon them. And what do they do? They, they go and they continually preach the gospel. They continue to go in other places preaching the gospel. Yet they preached the gospel first to the Jew because the gospel had not yet come to the Gentiles. If you guys remember, only a couple verses earlier, we start to see the gospel reaching the Gentiles. That's why it says they went only to the Jews. No one except for the Jews. The gospel had not reached the Gentiles. That is significant as we're building into the story. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Serene, who coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. During this time, Antioch was the third biggest city in all of the ancient world. Rome was the biggest. So we have this this huge city and a lot of significant events, especially in church history, took place in there. A lot of heresy rose up in the early church. They fought a lot of heresy within the third century. Well, then just a century later, a man named Arius starts teaching 
Um, that there was a time where the sun did not exist. In the Council of Nicaea, they gathered together in Antioch. So early on in the church, we see that they're fighting heresy. A century later, now the, the Council of Nicaea comes together to declare that Arius was a heretic. And now, this is also the first place where the, the gospel is going out to the Gentiles. This is the first time that they're get, getting to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. These people are coming down, and notice next what they say. They were preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the smallest summation of the gospel we see in all of Scripture. They are preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't that they were preaching this man as a good teacher. If you have non-believing friends, oftentimes they're like, I love Jesus as a teacher. I think he had good morals. The problem with that is, it's not just a good teacher. They're preaching Him as Lord. It's not enough to say that He was a good teacher. That's enough to condemn you. They were going around declaring Christ is Lord. And the hand was on, or was with, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number of them believed and turned to the Lord. This hand of the Lord is the idea that God's covenantal presence was with them. It was, His hand was upon them. He was, he was invested in them. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that when the Lord is with the people, they will defeat armies. They will do great things. The Lord ties Himself. He is faithful to His covenant people. And here we see the hand of the Lord. It's also synonymous with the Holy Spirit being with them is upon this early church, and then they grow in great numbers. All too often, though, as a church, when we see passages like this, we start to wonder, why isn't our church growing numerically? Why don't we see great numbers? Or we start equating the Lord being with the churches with a great, large attendance or great number in membership. That's not always the case. We think the healthiest churches are the ones who have the most things. But you and I know that Golden Corral, since it has the most items, is not the best place for food. Quantity doesn't always mean quality. R.C. Sproul, a great pastor and scholar, said this, The largest recorded worship service in the Bible occurred at the base of a mountain in the dance of idolatry and blasphemy around a golden calf in Exodus 32. The church of Aaron at that point was a megachurch, doing everything that God despised. We could say that the hand of the devil was upon them rather than the hand of the Lord, because God was infuriated by what He saw the people doing. Their, acti their activities caused church growth, but it was the wrong kind. All too often we think numerically, we think in numbers. We need more and more people. We need to have this number of people to be healthy. That The church with 10,000 members is greater than the church with 100. But numbers are not always a good thermometer or barometer of health within the life of a church. Sometimes you can build up a great building, as Joel Steen has done. But the gospel is completely absent. 
And I, I long, and I think we should long for and desire healthy growth within the life of our church, both numerically and spiritually. But let's not compromise the gospel to get there. Let's not step away from Scripture or start going outside of that in order to accomplish these goals. Because if we have growth, but it's not God-given growth, we have no growth at all. It will plague us. But when the Holy Spirit is involved in something, growth will take place both spiritually and numerically. This is liberating. The reason this is liberating is we don't have to come up with the next greatest method in order for our church to succeed. We don't have to go to marketing plans and find out, hey, this church is doing this to get more people and this church is doing this. What can we pull from them? No, let's be faithful to God's Word. Let's devote ourselves to this book and let's devote ourselves to evangelism and watch God do a great work. I'm not saying all these things are always bad or you shouldn't strive to reach out into the community. But what I'm saying is don't leave the gospel. Don't try to shortcut, shortcut growth in the life of a church. Long to see growth, but God-given growth. And that's only going to take place through His Word. The report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came, he saw the grace of God. How amazing of a statement is that? He hears about all the things that the Lord is doing, that these people are being persecuted, that there's great growth in this area. And he goes to this church, and what's he say? He sees the grace of God in that church. That's my prayer for a church. That when people come and visit, it's not the music they focus on, it's not the people they focus on, but they see the grace of God. They see the hand of God in the life of our church. That's my prayer. And I pray that also is true for your life. When your co-workers see you at work, whenever you're living your life, when people see your family or come and visit your family, they get to see the grace of God and they leave with a statement like that. When I went there, I saw the grace of God. May that be true about us, about our families, about our church. That When they see us, they see God at work in our lives. What does it mean? What do you think he meant by the grace of God? I think we can see a couple things from this passage by what he meant by seeing the grace of God in them. First of all, these people are abandoning their old lifestyle. They're leaving their old way of life and they're following Christ. It's very clear from the passage that they're devoting themselves to Christ. We see that for the next year they devoted themselves to learning the Word of God. But also notice how the passage began. These people were being persecuted. They're risking their life. And they deemed that Christ was better than any persecution this world could put upon them. Yet they're still going out spreading the gospel. At the risk of their life. What a testimony for us. And when difficulties come, what a challenge. When difficulties come, are you fleeing? Are you becoming silent? Are you boldly proclaiming the Word of God? 
That's when people see the grace of God in you. When all you have to hold on to and all you have to cling on is the Lord. When you've got nothing else and all you devote yourself to is saying, I have nothing but I've got Jesus, but He is enough. When people see that, they long for your Christ. And notice how Barnabas responds to seeing the grace of God in this church. Same verse. His response was, he was glad. Isn't that a beautiful summation of seeing the work of God? How often we get so caught up and we we look at churches around the country or even down the street and we get frustrated because maybe they're getting an influx of people that are growing and... um, how often do we get frustrated with those things? Or we hear about a brother or sister who is doing well and maybe the Lord has given them certain opportunities that we may not have and we get frustrated. And we start complaining and we start bickering. Lord, why are you blessing them and yet I struggle day to day to day? How often is that us? Yet you guys remember back only a couple verses earlier, Peter saw the gospel going to the Gentiles and he says, Who am I? Who am I to go against them? Or who am I to stand in the way of the Lord is the way He words it. Rather than being that person who complains and gripes about the work of the Lord that He's doing in His church, even down the road, how about we delight the fact that God is moving in our city, that God is changing lives, that God is growing believers. Let us be glad in His work. Let's be glad at the work that He's doing in others. And He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord and steadfast to the purpose. For He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. In the midst of their struggles, He doesn't tell them, stop being angry, repent, turn. You know, you're doing something wrong. That's why all these struggles are coming in your way. He doesn't tell them, you know, try to to make your life better. You know, you want to just delight in your situation. Look, it could be worse. He's not giving a response like that. No, what is he saying? Remain steadfast in the Lord. So when these struggles are coming along, rather than hiding from them or fleeing from them or acting like they're not there, remain faithful to the Lord. I brought this up and we bring this up constantly. James says to count your trials as joy because they're making you like Christ. That's how you remain faithful. Keep your eyes on the goal. Set your eyes on the prize that you are becoming like Christ because of your work. Because of the struggle. They're not pointless. You need them to be more like Christ. Remain faithful no matter how difficult they may be. Trust in the Lord. That response that Barnabas gave, it caused a great number of people to turn to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus and to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. I'm encouraged by this passage because I see something that's very good for a church and very good within our life and our body. Is that at times Barnabas recognized when he could not do something alone. 
All too often we want to pull up our bootstraps and do everything by ourselves, and we think, I can do it all. I don't need anyone else. But God has called us together and He has equipped us each with different gifts. And we all need those gifts within the life of the body of the church. Some are gifted with servanthood. Some are gifted with teaching. We're all gifted with different things. And Barnabas, rather than trying to do it on his own, a great growth took place in this church. And rather than doing it on his own, he goes after Saul and brings Paul back here to go and preach and lead these people to disciple, to mentor, to raise up these people. Because Barnabas recognized that there may be others who are more gifted than him. Barnabas may have been the one who started it and Saul is the one who is going to come and educate and lead and teach them. We all have different gifts within this church. And we all need these gifts. All too often we get this, this consumer mentality. I'm just called to come and sit here and do nothing and then leave and never have any involvement within the life of the church. This is so incredibly wrong. We completely miss that we're created for one another and we need one another. My shortcomings are found in your giftings. I need you. When I struggle, I need your word of encouragement. When you struggle, I'm here to pick you up. We're all gifted with different things. There is no way that I could do everything in the life of this church. There's no way you could either. We're all gifted with different things. Sometimes we don't even notice the things. Like many people may not know, we brought this up last week in Bible study. Clay gets here early every week. Brett gets here early every week. And they serve our church. You may not see their ministries because you get here and everything is already set up. But it's because of believers like them that serve our church. Miss Liz gets here and sets up coffee so that you guys aren't falling asleep while I'm preaching. That's a blessing. We're all gifted with different things. So rather than half-heartedly doing whatever, find your gift and get involved. Serve your church. Love your church. I can't do many of the things that you can do. I'm not as gifted as Ben, the guy who plays guitar with us every single week. I'm incredibly blessed that he has come and serves us this way. But when he's not here, you have to suffer. <laughs> We're all gifted with different things. Use your gifts. Serve the church. Build it up. Don't be complaining and don't sit there and be a consumer. Be a missionary. Be a builder. Next it says, For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And at Antioch the disciples were first called disciples. Notice that Paul and Barnabas, as soon as these people become believers, what happens? They start teaching them the Word of God. I think our culture and a lot of churches for the longest time, especially the last 10 years, had this mentality, let's get as many people to pray a prayer and then let's leave them alone. We've got to get more and more people. So we go around and um, I've been in places where 
I worked with a, in a mission agency where people would come out and say, we had a thousand people accept Christ, and then they'd go back the next day and a thousand. Well, I'm like, there's only about a thousand people in this village. How did you have 2,000 people accept Christ? We're so focused on signing a card and, and praying a prayer that we forget that it's more than just praying a prayer. There's more to the Christian life than a simple prayer. You must repent of your sins and start following Christ and devote yourself to His Word and learn the things of the Lord. Psalm 1 describes the blessed man as the one who meditates upon the Lord's Word day and night. That's what we need as believers. We need to devote ourselves to discipling and mentoring and raising up other believers. Recently I had the joy of Jason and Jeremy and Ben and I were all together talking about we're just brainstorming of ideas. How can we better breed a ground in this church of discipleship? How can we better disciple people? There's a lot of great options. We have an hour before the service where we study systematic theology together. We study God's Word. and What does the Bible teach about this? And then we have small groups every single week where we go and dissect and discuss things. We pray together. We live life together. But what other ways can we better disciple one another in this congregation? Brainstorm that with me. Think about that. Start investing your life in other people in this church. Paul says to follow me as I follow Christ. Paul had Timothy and Titus that he devoted his life to. He invested in Jesus, devoted his life, not to the multitude, but to the twelve. There's this example of discipleship. Titus 2 calls the women to invest their lives in the younger women, to teach them. How can each one of us Better teach one, each one another. How can we raise up the young believers in our church? Or how can we better challenge one another? How can we disciple one another? Think about these things. It's the great philosopher Dr. Evil once stated, we shall make a mini-me. <laughs> how can we do those things? How can we invest? Struck Dr. Evil in church, by the way. Um, how can we invest in other people within the life of the church? How can we start investing our lives and pouring our lives and pouring our knowledge of Scripture into others? If we think about the Great Commission, we, we, we really focus on the making disciples, but we forget the rest of the passage. Part of that making disciples is teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. It's the very next phrase after making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. There's got to be a way that we learn that. And it's through investing our lives, going to lunch with one another, spending time with one another, picking out someone in the congregation, and devoting your life to helping them grow in the knowledge of the Lord. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. You guys notice this phrase, we brought it up before in the past, this full of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? It's they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, just like the prophets of old. Their words were as true as Scripture itself. It's authoritative. That's why they're saying they were full of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit was leading them, instructing them on what to say. And they tell them that a great famine was going to take place. 
So what are these, these early believers' response? What are these believers who are starting to get their priorities right? They're starting to think clearly. They're starting to think biblically. Let's see what they do. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. These brothers saw other believers who were in need. And they responded with, man, I'd hate to be them. No. When you have a brother and sister in need, someone close to you, you don't drop the cliche, I'll be praying for you, brother. No. If someone you care about is hurting, what do you do? You come running. When your child falls down and hurts himself and starts crying, what do you do? You run after them and you pick them up. That's what this early church did. It wasn't a, I'm praying for you, brother, or man, I'd hate to be that guy right now. No, they saw a need and they went and they helped the people. They devoted themselves to one another. They lived life in community. Their needs became my needs. That's why I love reading the Psalms. At times there are difficult passages and you're like, this doesn't relate to me. I'm not really struggling. My enemies are not really against me right now. I may be having a, a good point of life right now. But when we read these Psalms together, when we meditate upon the Psalms together, I may not be going through that right now, but you may be going through that. So as we read this as a congregation, your struggles become my struggles. It's not just me. We are a covenant community. We devote ourselves to one another. It's no longer all about me, which the world tells you. But we're devoting ourselves to one another to build up the church in Christ Jesus. We're having the same mindset as Christ. This was the heart of the early church. This needs to be our heart as well. Pray that as a church we'll devote ourselves to these things. Make these our priorities. Make these the things that our church are known by. That when people come they see the grace of God in us. They see a culture of discipleship where we're investing in one another. And they see a people who love each other. So much so that if the need arises... The whole church comes to help that person. Because we're no longer about us individually. We're about the church as a whole. May that be the testimony of Hope Church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to come together today.